By way of introduction, just for a bit of a laugh, I thought that I would begin by telling you the hilarious true story of what happened to Julia and to me on our wedding night. Don't worry, this won't be embarrassing either for you or for my wife Julia or for me. So we left our wedding reception about 11.15 at night and we drove the short distance to our hotel. When we arrive in the hotel foyer, the hotel foyer is packed with scores of drunken rugby fans and they've all got their arms around each other and they are swaying from side to side singing songs because there had just been a rugby international at Twickenham, which was nearby. And so, Julia and I walk in. My wife, Julia, is looking stunning in her going-away outfit, and she's wearing a hat with a very wide brim. The sort of hat that, if this hat could speak, this hat would say, I've just got married. That kind of hat. Anyway, so, as you can imagine, I am involved in some light-hearted banter with the drunken rugby fans. Anyway, I go up to the guy behind the desk, the duty manager at the hotel, and I say five words that I've been looking forward to saying my entire life. I walk up to this guy and I say, Mr. and Mrs. Holloway, please. See, I just got married, so I was really excited about that. And I explain to this bloke that we have booked the bridal suite. So he types away on his computer. He looks up and he says, oh... I said, what do you mean? Oh. He said, well, Mr. Holloway, we have got your booking, and you have booked the bridal suite, but um, we rang your home phone number this afternoon, but there was no reply. I said, yeah, that's because I was getting married this afternoon. He said, oh. I said, what exactly is the problem with our booking? He said, well, you know, the evening went on. It got to about 11 o'clock at night, and obviously you hadn't turned up. And so this other newly married couple, they turned up, and so we gave them the bridal suite. I say to him, are you saying that this other couple are in our room? He said, yeah. I said, are they in there now? He said, yeah. I said, well, you're going to have to get them out. (laughs) And with that, I turned on my heel and walked away because I thought, that's what people do in films. They say dramatic things and then walk off. So I sit down next to my wife, Julia, and I explain the situation, what's just happened. And we're thinking, how? How will he get them out of the bridal suite on their wedding night? And about 10 minutes afterwards, inspiration strikes the duty manager the fire alarm goes off. I thought, that is brilliant. I would never have thought of that. Of course, in the event of the fire alarm going off, everyone has to vacate their rooms. And so everybody comes out of their rooms, including this couple. The drunken Irish rugby fans think this is hilarious. And so if you were wondering what were Adrian and Julia Holloway doing at midnight on their wedding night, we were standing in a car park with 100 people. Anyway, so there we are in the car park with 100 people. And of course... It's a false alarm, and as this other couple, as they go back into the hotel, the duty manager comes up, intercepts them with a bottle of champagne, he turns on the charm, and somehow persuades them to vacate the bridal suite, and then the staff go up, they change the room around, 
And about half an hour later, Julia and I finally get to our room, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, who you choose to marry is, of course, a big decision. But Julia and I would both say that the biggest decisions that we have made in life were all made much earlier. Julia and I would say the biggest decisions we've made in life were all made before the age of 17. And at that stage in life, you can set your course in life by the decisions you make that can set you up for the rest of life and give you a great start in life. The title of this short talk is Setting Your Course in Life. James chapter 3 verse 4 says, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And as we set sail and leave this place tomorrow, all of us have the chance to set our course in life. So who is steering your ship? You say, Jesus. Jesus is my pilot. Jesus is steering my ship. Yes, that's great. But the thing is that this verse says that actually Jesus, yes, is your Savior and Lord, but this verse says something different. It talks about the fact that you set your course in life. In as much as the people who you speak to, it's you who's talking. It's you who chooses what you are going to say. The context of this verse is all about how your mouth is very small, but the words that you say make a big difference. Just like a ship has a very small rudder, but that small rudder makes an enormous difference to where you will end up. So seeing as Jesus is your Lord and Savior, where do you want to go in life? Another decision that you will make just as important is, what are you going to do with the money that passes through your hands? You might reply, Adrian, I haven't got any money yet. Yes, but you can still set your course in life this morning, and it could be that will make a world of difference to where you end up. For example, back in the 1970s, here's 17-year-old Bill, who lives in Kalamazoo in Michigan, US of A, with his girlfriend Lynn, and blonde-haired Bill has been brought up in a Christian home, and just recently, Bill's made a commitment, a decision to follow Jesus Christ at a summer camp. And Bill's an ambitious, hardworking young teenager. In fact, through doing part-time jobs, Bill's earned enough money to buy himself a car. But Bill has not yet been generous towards God by giving money into an offering. But Bill does love Jesus, and one time, Bill decides he's going to drive 150 miles from Michigan all the way to Chicago because he wants to listen to a missionary pioneer who's doing missionary work in Central America. He's come up to Chicago to talk about what he's doing, about how he's reaching people in the jungles of Central America and how he's planting churches. And 
Bill's really impressed with this guy. Bill thinks to himself, hey, this guy is only a f- maybe 10 years older than me. Look what a difference he's making. He's showing courage and tenacity and creativity. He's reaching unreached people in Central America. He's starting new churches. And then somebody says at the end of the meeting, hey, let's take up an offering of money right now and let's send this missionary guy back to Central America with more funds so he can reach more people with the good news about Jesus. And for the first time in Bill's life, Bill wants to give. Bill really wants to give money into the offering that's it's being passed around. And so Bill reaches into his pocket to look for any money that he's got, and Bill finds in his pocket he has one $20 note He doesn't have any change. He hasn't got anything else. He's just got the $20 note. And Bill thinks to himself, okay, how much petrol have I got? I've got to get home. Oh, that's okay. I filled up with petrol. Just before I parked the car, I've got enough petrol to get home. I can put all $20 in the offering to help non-Christians in Central America hear the good news about Jesus. And then he thinks, hang on a minute, what about the toll? The toll barrier. You see, to get home all the way back to Michigan, he has to drive along the Indiana toll road, and there's a toll barrier, a toll booth, and there's a $1.50 toll that has to be paid, otherwise Bill literally cannot get home. And Bill stops. And then Bill hears the voice of God. He feels like, at least, not literally, but he, he feels that God is saying, Bill, If you put all $20 in the offering to help me reach lost people in Central America, Bill, I will take care of that toll booth thing. So Bill puts all $20 into the offering. And the meeting ends. Bill gets in his car. He turns on the ignition. He starts driving away. And he thinks, oh, no. Oh, no. What have I done? What have I done? Oh no, this is going to be really embarrassing. I'm going to drive up to the toll booth thing. I'm not going to. Oh, this is going to. Oh no, that was stupid. What have I done? And as he's driving back to Michigan, he gets more and more panicky. And then he begins to think what do they actually do at the toll booth if you can't pay? I mean, do they impound your car? Do they uh, arrest you? Do they phone your dad and make your dad drive all the way back to the toll and then your dad pays? And then, you, you know, he's thinking, how is this going to work? And by the time he gets to the barrier itself, he's pretty panicky. He winds down the window and there's a lady there and he just starts pleading. He says, I'm so sorry. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, I haven't got any money. I, 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 you can check my car. You can check my wallet. You can check my boot. You can check the doors. You can check under the mats the car. And the lady says, young man. I've been working here for many years. What I'm about to tell you is something that's never happened before. But you see that guy who just drove through in front of you? He said he wanted to pay his toll. And then out of the blue, he said, and I'd like to pay for whoever comes next. Bill drives through toll-free. He parks up a few hundred yards up on the side of the road where it's safe. Bill puts his head down on the steering wheel and Bill just starts 
crying tears of joy. And Bill then says, when he's finished crying, he says out loud in his car, he says to God, God, that $20 note, that, that was yours all along, wasn't it, God? In fact, all the money that has ever passed through my wallet is actually yours. And I know that's true because this planet was made by you, God. And that means that all the trees that they use when they chop down the trees to make the paper that they print the $20 on, that paper, those trees, this planet is made by you. And all the metal that they use to make those coins, the change, that metal comes out of the ground and the ground is part of the earth and the earth was made by you. And Bill says out loud to God, he says, God, from this day forward, I am going to be generous in giving back to you the money that you've entrusted to me because you will resupply all my needs. And you know, as soon as he said that, Bill thinks back to his childhood Sunday school days. And Bill remembers that as a kid, he was made to memorize this verse. And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God hasn't promised to give us everything we want, but he has promised to give us everything that you need. Hey, Bill still has a passion to reach lost people with the good news about Jesus, so he started a church to reach people who don't go to church. So Bill wanted to build a nice building so that when non-Christians turned up at church for the first time, they might want to come back. And so, in 2004, Bill opened Willow Creek Community Church's new building. It cost $73 million. But it was all paid for. And they have an average Sunday attendance of 26,000 people. It would be no exaggeration to say that thousands of people have become Christians through Bill's church. But it was built because Bill learned a lesson early on in life when he was a teenager to be generous when it comes to giving money to reach lost people. So maybe right now you're like 17-year-old Bill. Maybe like Bill, the only money you've got on you right now in the whole world is what's in your pocket. But folks, in the future... God is going to give you a lot of money. I'm talking about setting your course in life. Now, what do I mean when I say, in the future, God is going to give you a lot of money? All I mean is this. The average wage in the UK is now £27,000 a year. And over the past 33 years, wages have doubled in the UK. And you say, let me stop you right there. That was my parents' generation. It's not going to be as good for us. Okay, let's imagine that you're right. Let's imagine that wages don't double in the next 33 years. Let's imagine they go up less. Let's imagine they only go up one and a half times. Now let's imagine that there is zero price inflation for 33 years of your adult life. In other words, 33 years from now, everything in the shops costs exactly the same in 33 years' time as it costs right now. 
Now let's imagine that you don't work at all for 10 years of your adult life. For 10 years, sometime between the age of 22 and 65, you don't work at all. For those 10 years, you earn absolutely zero money. Now let's imagine that you never make any money from the sale of a house. In other words, we've just imagined a cautious set of predictions. Okay, on that basis, how much money will the average person in this tent earn between the ages of 22 and 65? Answer, £1,084,416. Now, here is a really important question for you. What are you going to do with the £1,084,416 that God is going to give to you? I'm talking about setting your course in life. Hey folks, my, my friend Gary, he didn't have a great start in life. Gary's parents divorced when he was just three years old. And Gary is dyslexic. And back in the 1970s when Gary was at school, there was little understanding of dyslexia. So Gary left school at 16. He had one O-level. That was the equivalent of GCSEs back in the day. Gary leaves school at 16. He's got no qualifications apart from this one O-level. So Gary starts working at the local bike shop. Gary works in the bike shop for seven years until he gets sacked for inappropriate use of the office phone in the bike shop. Gary's been making personal calls on the work line and he gets sacked age 23. By this stage, he's married, he's got a young son. At this point, my friend Gary takes a massive risk. He takes over a failing toy shop in the high street and he doesn't know much about selling toys, but it turns out Gary is rather good at running the toy shop and Gary makes a success of the toy shop. Then one lady, one lady comes in to the shop and she says, I haven't come in to buy anything, he says. She says, I haven't come in to buy anything, she says, I've come to complain. Gary says, complain? What about? About your window. Gary looks in the toy shop window. In the window, Gary's got a witch, a broomstick, some fangs, some fake blood, and various other Halloween paraphernalia. Gary looks at all this and he says, I don't get it. What's wrong with my window? The lady says, you're encouraging children to play with darkness, the lady says. And Gary thinks, oh, grief alive, I've got a right religious nutter here. And so trying not to laugh, Gary says to this woman, look, uh, madam, I don't know how you earn a living, but um, I earn a living by selling things in my shop. And so I put things in my shop window that people want to buy, and it's Halloween next week, so like every other toy shop in Britain, I've got Halloween stuff in my October window. And the woman says, what's your name? He says, Gary. The woman says, Gary, the Lord says, if you will honor me with your money, I will honor you. And then she walks out. And Gary thinks, oh, you know, she must be one of those fruitcake, born-again Christian types, you know, that you hear about. Anyway, 
Wouldn't you just know it? Two years later, Gary's wife becomes a Christian. And then two years after that, she invites Gary along to a men's breakfast at her church. Gary hears somebody talk about Jesus in a way that Gary can understand. That very day, Gary gives his life to Christ. Now, a few years after that, Gary's driving along and uh, he's traveling from Oxford back to his shop in Amersham. He's driving along the M40 and he feels that God is speaking to him and he feels that God is telling him to do something really strange. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while all this is happening, there's another man, different bloke, who's the same age, only lives 10 miles away. This guy feels called by God to give up being an accountant in order to reach teenagers with the good news about Jesus. And this Greek Cypriot youth leader has got a crazy idea. This guy called Mike, he reckons that God has called him to reach hundreds of teenagers with the gospel so that they can become Christians. And his crazy idea is that he plans to gather hundreds of teenagers in a place called Shepton Mallet in the summer of 1993. And meanwhile, he also wants to launch a church in his hometown at the same time. And Mike's plan is that his summer thing to reach teenagers who wouldn't normally go to church and his church where he lives, in the town where he lives, to reach teenagers who wouldn't normally go to church, both the summer event and his church are both going to be called the same thing. He's going to call it soul survivor. But the thing is, Mike's only got 11 people in his church. And a whole year later, Mike's still only got 21 people in his church. But remember, God has called Mike to reach lost people with the good news about Jesus. So every Friday night, Mike's little church run an outreach to teenagers in their town, but they haven't got any money. And so every time they do the outreach on Friday, they have to hire the sound equipment. And there's this one guy in the church called Dave. Dave's 18. It's Dave's job at the end of the Friday night outreach, pack all the sound equipment down, put it in the back of Dave's car. He drives the car home. He opens up his dad's garage. He backs the car into the garage, closes the garage doors, locks the garage doors, goes upstairs to bed. Eight o'clock Saturday morning, Dave's job, get back in the car, take it back to the sound hire place, deliver it back. That's the hire. One Saturday morning at 10 minutes to 8, Mike gets a phone call and it's Dave. And Dave's in tears. And Dave says, Mike, I don't know how to tell you this, but last night we didn't finish the outreach till midnight and I got home and I knew that I had to come down at 8 o'clock this morning and take it all back to the shop. And so I'm really sorry, Mike, but I didn't put the car in the garage. I just kind of backed it up against the garage doors. I went up to bed. I just come down this morning. I'm so sorry, Mike, the car's there, but all the PA equipment, it's been nicked. It's been stolen out of the car. Mike's response to this news is to process the fact that because the car was left in public view, you could see it from the street, Mike knows that insurance will not cover the loss of the sound equipment. Mike already knows the sound equipment is going to cost £3,500 to replace. So Mike says to Dave, Dave, don't tell anyone what you've just told me yet. Just let me live with this news for an hour or so. Let me just get used to what you've just said. Don't tell anyone. 
Mike puts the phone down and Mike thinks, that is it. We're finished. We're finished because Mike knows of the 21 people in this church, there are only four of them who earn a salary. There is no way that they can raise the 3,500 pounds that they need. Mike says out loud to God, Soul Survivor is finished before it has even started. He says out loud to God, Lord, this is the end. At 11 a.m., three hours after that, Mike gets a phone call from someone that he's only met once in his whole life. He hardly knows this bloke. Who is it? It's our friend Gary. Gary, who's become a Christian. Gary, who's been driving on the M40 from Oxford to Amersham. He gets this phone call. Gary says, is that Mike Pellavarchi? Mike says, yeah. He says, well, I don't know why I'm supposed to do this, but I've been driving along the M40, and I feel God's told me to do three things. First of all, God told me to get your phone. I've had to ring loads of people to get your number, you know. I've, I've had to ring you. Secondly, God told me that I'm supposed to write a check right now and put it in the post to you immediately for 3,500 pounds. And thirdly, God told me to tell you, Mike, that this check comes with a message from God. And the message, Mike, is this. Never let money stop you from doing what God has called you to do with young people. Now, that was an inspiration for Mike. Three and a half thousand pounds was exactly the sum that Soul Survivor needed. And that, folks, is how Soul Survivor began. And Mike will tell you that that lesson of the reality of God, that God is real, that inspired Mike in terms of going on an adventure, in terms of trusting God by investing money to reach people who don't know Jesus. Mike began an adventure with God in trusting money. And just a few weeks after this, the first ever Soul Survivor happened. There were 1,800 teenagers who turned up in 1993. And Mike has carried on investing money in a God who he knows has promised to not let him down. And Soul Survivor grew massive. And for many years now, nearly 30,000 teenagers, many of whom have not gone to church, come every single summer to Shepton Mallet and find Jesus. And there are hundreds of other people who become Christians through the church, through Soul Survivor Church. But folks, that is not the end of the story. What about our friend Gary? Gary, who's just given away 3,500 pounds. Whatever happened to Gary? Two years after this happened, Sunday trading comes in. And all the other toy shops start opening on Sunday, seven days a week. And Gary says, no. No, I've been a Christian for three or four years now and I think I've realized God says in the Bible that six days of work, one day of rest is a really good principle. And so I believe in a Sabbath rest because God believes in a Sabbath rest. So you know what? None of my shops are going to open on Sundays. But then of course what happens next is that all over Britain, all these big shopping centers start opening and all the shops in all the shopping centers are all opening seven days a week. And so Gary goes to all the shopping centers and says, can I have a unit, please? And in particular, there's one towards the end he really wants to get into. It's the first Westfield, Westfield Shepherd's Bush. Gary says to Westfield, can I have a unit, please? 
And they say, no. No, of course not. And Carrie says, why ever not? <laughs> the shopping center says, well, do the maths. All your competitors are trading seven days a week. You're only trading six days a week. You're shut on Sundays. If we give the unit to you, all these other shops will put you out of business within six months. We'll have to find a new tenant for your unit. There's no point giving you the unit. You're only going to be here for six months. And Gary remembers the lady. You remember the lady that came into the shop all those years ago? The lady that said, Gary, if you will honor me with your money, I will honor you. And Gary says to the shopping center, if you give me this unit, I will sell more toys in six days than my competitors can sell in seven. Okay, what happened next? Guess what? Gary Grant has got his shop in Westfield. He's now got 130 toy shops in the UK. They're all called The Entertainer. And today, The Entertainer is the biggest independent toy retailer in Britain. And the Sunday Times newspaper estimates that this year, The Entertainer will make £170 million. And while over the past 20 years, hundreds of other toy shops have gone out of business despite, only, despite trading seven days a week, The Entertainer has kept growing despite only trading six days a week. And not only does Gary give away much of his own money to God, but The entertainer is a business that gives away 10% of all its profits to children's charities. The entertainer has no staff on zero hours contracts and get this, the entertainer is one of only a handful of major retailers in Britain that deliberately prioritizes giving jobs to young people with absolutely no qualifications at all. How about that? God says, if you will honor me with your money, I will honor you. And this morning, as we now take up this great offering, God says to you this morning, if you will set your course in life, if you will honor me with your money, then I will honor you. Maybe the band would like to come and join you. You can set your life, set your course in life this morning. You might be saying, hey, I'm up for giving something. How much should I give? You know what? That's entirely up to you. You set your course in life. The Bible says each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This morning, I'm inviting you to set sail, to go on an adventure with God, to set your course in life, and to be generous towards God with your money. It's been great being with you. God bless you, and thanks for your attention. <laughs>